0: Good morning, everyone. Again, if you're just now joining us, I want to welcome you. My name is Rhett. I am the lead pastor here, and it is the honor of my life to get to serve you today. Hey, uh, One Life family, those who are in the room at the Nippec Civic Center, we do this every Sunday. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. Come on, throw your hands together and let them know how much you love them. Come on, throw your hands together. Yeah. Many of you have been joining us as far as Alaska to Florida. It's been amazing to kind of get to see uh, just the response of just being online digitally. And uh, I just want to welcome you and let you know that, you know, we might be distant, but we're close. Uh, We are your family and we're here to serve you any way we can. And one of the best ways we can serve you is through prayer. And many of you are reaching out to us online through our online connection card and you're filling out prayer requests. And we want to let you know we've been praying the promise of God over your life. And hey, when God answers a prayer, let us know, send us some feedback. We'd love to rejoice with you as well, but it's great to have you with us. All right, you guys, we are in a series called Asking for a Friend. Can't wait to jump into today's message, but i want to remind you really of one thing, and that is everybody say purpose. 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 What is purpose? It is step two of a process we call Discover here at One Life Church. It is our greatest desire to help take you on a journey, and a part of that journey is helping you discover the gifts and the design that God has handcrafted you in. Because my friends, here's why that's important. It's because your design reveals your destiny. It is the truth of God's word found all throughout scripture. There are two great days in every person's life. The day we were born, hallelujah, thank God, we're breathing air because I'm mama and Dad. right? But the second day is the day that we discover why we were put on this planet. And my friend, you were put on this planet not just to suck air, pay taxes, and die. Can I get a better amen? I'm telling you, God has given you some things and He's created you on purpose for a purpose. And we want to help you take some simple next steps to discovering that. Why? Because when you are living your life, making a difference, not because the church is asking you to, but when you're making a difference lined up with the gifts God's given you, my friends, there is a great joy and fulfillment that comes. The psych- uh, psychologists call it transcendence. It's where your life is being fulfilled at the highest level. When? When you're walking in your calling. When you're walking in your purpose, when you're walking in the vision that God has for your life and making a difference in people's lives. Just like the faithful, amazing, greatest team on the planet, we call the dream team here. Are you thankful for the dream team? If you are, throw your hands together and let them know how much you love them. Yeah. From production to worship to kids life. Come on, parents. I know you love some kids life. I'm just saying right to kids life. And I believe, can I just say this about our kids life team? man, they are the greatest team on the planet, not just because they're so faithful in their service and walking in their calling and gifting, And which by the way, the men and women that are back there serving your kids, they're back there because they love kids, not because we're like, oh my God, will you please serving kids? No, they're back there because they, have, they feel called by God to speak life into the next generation. In fact, they're not the next generation, they're the now generation. And so they're back there speaking life and purpose over your kids today. They're just not back there entertaining them. No, they're back there filling them with purpose. God's purpose for their life. And if you're thankful for that as a parent, can you give a big shout out to our kids life team? Come on, let them know you love them. We love your kids life. And so purpose is all about giving you the opportunity to take a step to discover that, to give you an opportunity to join the dream team, to make a difference. It happens at 11 a.m., which you're like, oh, man, I missed it. Yeah, guess what? It happens the second and fourth Sunday of every month. And so if you're attending this service today and you're like, man, I'd love to do that, come back next week to the earlier service to 930 and then stay and attend the step one and step two of our Discover process. It is a lot of fun. All right. We are a message note-taking church, everybody. It simply means we like to take notes. In fact, we love to take notes. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you're in the room today, to go to olc.church, swipe down, click on the button that says message notes, and I cannot underestimate this, okay? Today's message, I believe with all my heart, it has the power to save somebody's life. I really mean that. We're going to be answering a question today that you asked that is probably one of the toughest, heaviest messages that I've ever had to deliver in the history of our church or, or my life. And that is you asked the question and the question was, what does the Bible say about depression? What does the Bible say about mental health? The Bible has a lot to say about it, actually. And so if there's ever been a message that I would encourage you to take notes for, because here's the reality. Every single one of us, if you're 100% honest, you might not be depressed right now, but you've either been depressed, you are depressed, or you're entering into a season of depression. It's not a matter of if you're ever going to be depressed. It's just a matter of when you are are going to be depressed. Because it happens. Why? Because we're human and you're going to discover some of that today. You're like, well, Pastor Red, I came to church to be encouraged. I could not think of a more heavier topic that has more hope and field in it that is infused to bring you life today. And so the notes, my friends, aren't just something we do for just happenstance as a church. I really want to put this into your hands so that you have God's word so that you can live this thing out when hell hits you on Monday. Come on. Can I say hell in church? It's real. When hell hits you on Monday, you're going to be like, man, what does God's word say about this? I need, to, I need some tools in my tool belt to walk this out. You'll have something there. And so if you're online, you'll see the sermon notes are there available for you online under the screen. If you're watching on your phone or if you're online, you can click a button that says sermon notes. Guys, the best way that I can pastor you is to simply answer questions that you're asking. And you're asking this question because it is real. It is something. It is honestly an epidemic in our society today. And that is the topic around mental health and depression. In fact, as I've studied for this message, and I've done a lot of research and a lot of studying this week. In fact, I've changed this message like 20 times. Ask my wife. I've realized that this is a huge topic. Like, the truth is, depression, in my opinion, is probably the number one health problem we're faced with, not only in America, but around the world. And so I want to say this, my friends, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert on the topic. Okay, I'm not a professional counselor, but what I am is a pastor. I'm a man who's fallen in love with God and his son, Jesus, and I've been serving him for 28 years. And I've seen what God's word can do in a person's life. And he's done it a lot in my life too. In fact, I'm going to share a little bit of my story today. And a part of my story I'm going to share is some seasons where I've battled in depression myself, even as a Christian, Guys, in 2020 alone, antidepressants went up 300%. That's just 2020. Guys, this is a problem, and it's not just for the world to solve. My friend, this is a problem that it's time for the church to rise up to be the church and to be a part of the solution. Can I hear a good amen, somebody? So before I get in the word, what I really want to do is I just want to bring you a few observations that I have found and discovered. And the first one is, I need you to know this, that mental health or even depression It can oftentimes be genetic and biological, okay? But not all cases are biological and not all cases are genetic. And so in other words, if you're just allowing genetics or biology to play the whole narrative, you're gonna be missing out on a whole lot of solutions that are out there for you in God's word. And so what I'm discovering, in fact, it's not just a discovery that I have, but Christian psychologists and psychiatrists and non-Christian psychologists and psychiatrists are beginning to understand that this is truth about depression is that it is a signal that your natural psychological needs are simply not being met. Depression is a signal that your natural psychological needs are not being met on a really deep level. So here's some good news. If you're depressed today, I got some good news, and that is, my friends, you are not a machine with malfunctioning parts. My friends, you're human. You live in humanity, and you're simply experiencing some unmet needs that are going on, maybe at a really deep level, that need to be reconnected or connected to some things that really matter. Now I do wanna say this. I know that depression hurts. I know that it hurts. In fact, I've dealt a lot in my life with fear, with anxiety. Um, A lot of it stems, and I'm starting to realize this at 44 years old, a lot of it stems from an abandonment issue that happened in my early childhood when I was seven years old, and my mom ended her life by committing suicide. And so I myself, even as a man who's grown to love God, Still deal from time to time with anxiety and fear. And I understand, trust me, I understand the feeling of hopelessness and entrapment that it can bring. And what I want you to know is that depression, it's a form of grief is really what it is. It's a deep form of grief that grieves your heart. It grieves your soul and it grieves your spirit to the point to where it numbs everything in your life. And that is when you begin to walk in this depression and all of a sudden now it's like I'm depressed and it's like it's a signal saying, hey, there's some things that are out of alignment that need to come back into alignment. And I just wanna be honest with you. There's not just one quick fix. This isn't like, oh, I heard a message on depression from Pastor Now I'm just, woo, right? No. No, this is a process and a journey. And some people's journeys are longer than others. And so your journey is your journey. And there's health and healing and there's hope today for you. So I'm discovering that it's a signal. Second thing that I'm discovering is that unfortunately there is a huge stigma around this topic of depression. It's almost like a mark of disgrace, and especially it upsets me tremendously, especially in Christian circles. Because in Christian circles, a lot of us put on our best, put the smile on, right? We got to be perfect, right? Jesus has set us free. With the son sets free, it's free. Like, I have no issues. No, my friends, that is not the truth. Like, you are free, but my friends, you still are in a human body, right? Your body, spirit, and soul. And so you're this, you got a lot of things happening. And what I want you to realize is around this, that your illness is not your identity. I just need you to know that. That is the truth of God's word. Your illness, your sickness is not your identity, I'll just give you one example. My friends, I'm wearing glasses today. Why am I wearing glasses? Well, I'm wearing glasses because my organ in in my body, which is called my eye, it's not functioning at top efficiency, right? But none of you think I lack faith. I hope none of you think that like I'm any less than a Christian because I'm wearing glasses. And I just want you to understand something. The mind is also a part of the body. The mind is an organ. So if you're not going to think any less of me because i got a problem in my eyes, then we shouldn't be thinking any less of an individual who might be struggling in the mind. Can I get an amen, somebody? So I want you to know that it's not a sin to be sick, everybody. What you're feeling is not who you are. It's not who you are. It's just simply something you might be struggling with at this moment. And what I want you to know today is that it is okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. If you're our guest here today, I need you to understand something. You walked into a hospital for the hurting. There are no perfect people here, including the one who's speaking to you today. We all got issues. Let's stop pretending for a moment. I got issues. You got issues. If you're in this room or online today and you don't think you got any issues, that's your issue, everybody. It is. We got issues that we're all trying to allow God to heal in our life. And it was always a desire for me to create a safe place where we could be open and honest with what's happening in our lives, where we could express what's going on on the inside, including our thoughts that can get out of alignment sometimes. Why? Why do we need a safe place to express it? Because what I've discovered is when you hide your thoughts, guess what? It loves to hide there. Depression loves to hide in the darkness. My friends, there are over 1 million people in the world every year who end their life to suicide. 40,000 of those are in the U.S. alone. Guys, that's twice the murder rate. The number one killer in youth from 15 to 24, guess what it is? It's suicide. And it's one of the highest, highest death tolls in Idaho. It's just the truth. Statistics show when you break it down, there is one death to suicide every 40 seconds. Which means by the time we end this message, there are going to be over 60 people who have ended their life because they have lost hope in the battle of their mind. And so, my friends, if you're here today, maybe you or someone you know and you're contemplating suicide, I just want to give you some thoughts to consider. And that is this my friends, suicide is a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve a temporary problem. Suicide is a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve a temporary problem. In other words, it's not a wise solution. Can I just be honest? Like, the truth is, nobody wants to end their life. But the reality is, everybody wants to end their pain. And there's a difference between the two. And so I want to just encourage you with this truth. You don't have to die to end your pain. My friends, you don't have to die to end your pain. Now, I know when things get overwhelming because of pain, things that maybe were in your control or out of your control or whatever the situation might be, I know it can be absolutely overwhelming. And it can honestly feel in the moments that there's no way out. And it can seem at times that ending your life might be the best solution. But I'm just here to tell you that it's like setting off a nuclear bomb. It affects more than just you. And I can tell you this from a personal level because my mom and dad got a divorce when I was three And at seven years old, my mom ended her life. She decided that she thought the world would be better without her. My friends, can I tell you, it shocked the world. Why? Because on the outside, she was the happiest, always had a smile on her face, always going out of her way to help people. She was the life of the party. She walked into a room and nobody thought ever would have thought that my mom would have had any kind of mental health things going on. She didn't have a safe place where she could communicate. And so at seven years old, I'm told that my mom ends her life. And at some point in my life, I, I get to read the suicide note. And in the suicide note, it said that Rhett and my family will be better off without me. And I just want you to know today, it's just not true. That was a lie from the pit of hell that tormented my mom. Because what happened is when she took her life, it just didn't impact her. It impacted me. It impacted my dad. It impacted my brother. It impacted my aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews. It impacted my grandma, who went on to just live the rest of her life with... <laughs> anxiety, and fear. It impacted some of my family members to where they've even tried to attempt suicide and haven't been successful because of the abandonment of what happened in this situation. It's, it's impacted me, but it's impacted my wife. Why? Because we're married and now she's, as the love of my life, like working and, you know with me and through a lot of issues and stuff that I'm having to go through with a lot of that growing up. And if I'm not careful, it's going to impact my son sitting on the front row who's 13. And so you see, suicide and ending your life doesn't just impact you. It impacts a whole world around you. And so if you're in this room or you're joining us online and you've been tempted or maybe you know someone that has, I wanna give you a lifeline and that is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. I want you to write this down. You might not need it right now, but you might need it later. I want you to call 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-TALK. My friends, there are people there who are skilled at helping people help you identify the feeling that you're going through and to help you walk out of that dark moment to just breathe a little bit of light in you. They're not there to fix you, but they're there just to breathe a little bit of life and a little bit of hope in you. And so I just need you to understand today, emotions are real, but just because they're real, they're not always right. But what I need you to understand is that emotions, they don't last forever. Emotions are like an ocean wave. They come and they crash in, but then they dissipate. Now all this, sometimes that is very intense. And so I just wanna encourage you as a friend today is don't make a permanent choice. Based on a temporary feeling, you are loved. There is life. There is hope. And even if it's just a little step, I just need you to know this you and I were not meant to carry our burdens alone. The Bible teaches us that we're called to bear one another's burdens, we're called to have a safe place where we can share. Why? Because here's the good news. Here's God's word. This is where we're going to jump into Galatians chapter five, verse one. And that is my friends, it is for freedom. Everybody say freedom. Freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. God wants you free. God wants you to experience hope. God wants you to experience life. God wants you to experience fulfillment. He does not enjoy seeing you struggle. He wants to see you free from the struggle. But the the reality is my friends, even the best of us, including myself from time to time, we still struggle. Why? Because we're human. And this is why I love the Bible so much. I love the Bible because it's filled with imperfect people. In fact, it was mostly written by imperfect people. The Bible is filled with murderers and adulterers and even depressed people who wrote scripture. Don't believe me? My friends, there is an entire book called The Book of Depression. don't believe me? Now there's a fancy word for it. They call it lamentations, right? What does it mean? It's the book of sorrow. It's the book of grief. Who wrote it? Jeremiah, a prophet who is a man. He also wrote the book of Jeremiah, but he also wrote this book of sorrow. The Bible understands you're going to go through seasons of depression. In fact, I mean, he gives us his word so we can get some insight to see that great men and women of God have also struggled. Look at this. Lamentations chapter 3, 17 through 20. I'm not going to read the whole book, But this one scripture right here kind of just gives you the whole glimpse of what it's all about. Jeremiah says, I have been deprived of peace. And if you were honest today, many of you would say, man, this is exactly how I feel. I'm deprived of peace. In fact, I have forgotten what prosperity is. Like nothing in my marriage, nothing in my home, nothing in my finances, nothing in my business, nothing that seems to be going right. Everything is out of control. I have forgotten what it looks like to be prosperous. So I say to myself, In my mind, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. So, what does He do? Well, look at the rest of the verse. He says, I remember. I continue to rehearse the thoughts in my mind over and over again. I remember my affliction, the negativity, my wondering, my depression, my bitterness, and my gall. I remember the trouble, the gloom, the agony, and despair on me. In fact, I remember them so much. Look at the byproduct. Look at what happens. He's overwhelmed with the negative thoughts. And the byproduct is my soul is depressed. My soul is downcast. This is Jeremiah. Let's look at the New Testament. There was a man by the name of Paul. Guess what? Paul wrote two thirds of the New Testament. (laughs) The man loved God, but the man also struggled. The man planted churches. And many of us sit in this chairs today because of the influence of God using Paul's life to influence our lives here today. And Paul, one of the greatest apostles and church planners and men of God, he struggled. Second Corinthians eight, Guys, I don't want you to be uninformed. Hey, One Life Church, I don't want you to be uninformed. Because just because everything looks good on the surface, just because I'm writing two-thirds of the New Testament, just because I planted churches everywhere, doesn't mean that I got it all together. No, brothers and sisters, I got to let you know about the troubles, the hurt, the pain, the problems, the humanity that we all experience in the province of Asia. He goes on to say, we were under great pressure, so much pressure far beyond what we could even endure. It messed him up is what he's saying. So much that Paul, the man of God, the church planner, writing two thirds of the New Testament, despaired of life itself. What's Paul saying? He said, man, it looked good to possibly end my life because I couldn't endure all this pain on my own. This is Paul. So I've given you a prophet, I've given you an apostle who said, I don't think I can do this anymore. So the Bible can relate to you. The Bible can relate to me on when we go through difficult seasons in our life. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at another man. His name was Elijah. Now, Elijah was probably the greatest prophet that was ever mentioned in the Bible. In fact, we know Elijah was pretty popular because number one, well, he didn't die. Uh, A chariot took him to heaven. That was pretty cool, right? Uh, And in fact, at the transfiguration uh, of Jesus Christ in the gospels, you can read about it. We see Jesus transformed in his glory along sitting there with Moses and Elijah. So somewhere along the lines, heaven elevates this man. But I need you to understand something. There was a Tough moment in Elijah's life. And it didn't come after a low moment. Like something bad didn't go down and it would send him into a downward spiral. It actually came out of one of the highest moments of spiritual victory in his life. When he began to experience depression. And I just need you to notice that. And I need you to understand that. That sometimes on your most mountaintop experience, get ready. Because on the other side of that could be a moment of depression. I don't have time to read all of the scripture, but I'm just going to kind of paraphrase and give you the Cliff Notes version. You can read about this in 1 Kings chapter 18 for you extra note takers. Two major victories happening for the Israelites. So there is King Ahab, who's married to this wicked queen Jezebel. Wicked queen Jezebel can't stand God and serves all these other false gods and has all these other false prophets. And Elijah says, hey, you know, there's only one God. His name is Jehovah. And they're like, well, let's do a battle and see whose God is really God. And so they do this battle. They go out to Mount Hermon, I believe it is. And they're sitting there and all the prophets, 850 false prophets are calling out to their God. They get to the point where they're calling out to their God to try to bring down fire from heaven to light this sacrifice and nothing happens. All day goes by and Elijah actually even taunts them in the process. Where's your God now? Even, you can read about it. Your God must be taking a restroom break. But that's, re, that's the reality of what's going on. And so all these prophets are doing all their chants, and they're even cutting themselves and doing all their pagan idol worship, and nothing happens. And so Elijah steps up. He says, well, let me show you the power of my God, I'm going to call down fire from heaven. In fact, I want y'all to douse so much water on this just because you're going to see fire come down. But not only that, you're going to see all the water around it dry up. And so a miracle from God happens. God calls down fire from heaven. The sacrifice is burnt and all the water, the Bible says, is licked up. Like it's bam, zapped out. And in that moment, God began to get glory and honor. They're like, my God, there is no other God but God, the God of Elijah. And so it's a powerful moment. It's a victorious moment. God showed up and then you keep reading and all of a sudden now there's this three-year drought that's been going on. Elijah prays for rain and rain begins to fall from heaven. And it's this huge, miraculous day, huge victory. And you would think that Elijah would be, let's go party, man. Let's go celebrate. But no, that's not what happens. Look at this. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 4. Now Ahab, who is the wicked king, told Jezebel, his wicked queen, everything that Elijah had done. I can't believe Elijah called down fire from heaven. I can't believe the rain fell, all that, right? And how he killed all the prophets. So Jezebel sent a text message put a post on social media to Elijah. And notice that she didn't send a person to kill him. She sent a threat, okay? Notice this. And by the way, you think that Elijah, a man who could just call fire down from heaven, take care of killing 850 wicked prophets, call down rain from heaven in a drought. like You think a text or a comment on social wouldn't do anything to him. But no, no, look at this. So Queen Jezebel says, may the gods do with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, Elijah, I don't make your life like one of them. That was the comment on his page that day. And by the way, let me just give you some context. Elijah was tired, he was worn out, and he was exhausted. Why? Because the brother just got done running 30 miles all the way back to Jezreel. You can read about it. He says, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon Elijah and he ran back. He ran back faster than horses in chariots. He was going back to the town so he could testify to the goodness and greatness of what God did and the miracle before King Ahab and Queen Jezebel could spread false rumors of, of, no, that was really our God. And so the, I'm just saying, I'm worn out if I'm running a half mile. The brother ran 30 miles, you guys. He was worn, slapped out. Look at this. And the byproduct of him getting this text, being tired, worn out, and depleted, was this. Elijah was afraid. It freaked him out. It freaked him out. His emotions, his feelings got the best of him. So what did he do? He ran for his life. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, and by the way, time out. I wish I could have time to teach this. Beersheba represents a place of an oath in scripture. So here is Elijah, this man who has a covenant and an oath with God. God, I give you my life. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do everything for you. And he goes back to the place of a covenant. What you're going to see here in a moment is he begins to complain. He's like, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. So he goes back to Beersheba. And when he was there, he made mistake number two and that he left his servant there. Notice this, while he himself traveled away from his calling, traveled away from his purpose and went to a place he was never meant to be, he went a day's journey into the wilderness and he was alone, not only relationally, but he was alone in his thoughts. It says, he came to a broom bush. Now, I don't know if they have broom bushes here in Idaho, but that's basically a low hanging tree, okay? He sat down under it and he prayed. And here's his thoughts. He prayed a prayer that I believe every single one of us, if we were honest, might have prayed over the past year and a half. He prayed, Lord, I've had enough. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired, I'm worn out, I'm exhausted. And he said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Which, by the way, think about this for a second. Why in the world would he mention his ancestors in this moment? Unless he was thinking and comparing himself to his ancestors. So this is what I want to do today. I want to give you four things that led Elijah into darkness. Now, I really wanted to do everything I could today to put together one complete, concise, beautiful, simple message, giving you the things that got him into it and got him out of it. But the reality is it was just way too long. And so what I've done today is in this asking for a friend series, this answer specifically is going to be two part. Uh, Today, I'm going to tell you what led him into it, and the next week, I'm going to give you a lot of really good news of how he got out of it. Now, it's important that you know how he got into it, because when we see what got him there, we can see solutions along the way that kind of serve as signals for us to go, whoa, wait a minute, hold on, if I do this, then this might happen to me. Now, again, when it comes to depression... I just want to be honest and be truthful to you. The fact is that there is medicine, there are doctors, and there are things that you need that are beyond just God's word sometimes that you need in your life. And I promise you, it's God's word. Like I talked about my glasses, helping my eyes. Sometimes we need that. But not all factors are gonna be genetically or biologically are gonna need medicine. Because if that's the whole narrative, we're gonna miss out on some real solutions. And so let's look at some of the things That weren't genetic or biological that led Elijah into a place of depression. Number one, he was led by his feelings. Write that down. He was led by his feelings. It says Elijah was afraid, and Elijah ran for his life. And it happened after the highest of highs, his lowest of lows came. Why? Because he was tired. He was worn out. And I'm just here to encourage you, please never make a huge decision when you are depleted. Why? Because you can't think straight when you're tired. My friends, I'm going to be very honest with you. The day that I'm most tired is Sunday evening. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted and I'm depleted. My wife knows that. My overseers know that. And my best friends know that. And so what do I don't do? I don't make major decisions on Sunday night. In fact, sometimes it bleeds over into Monday because I'm spiritually tired and exhausted and worn out. And so if I was ever going to do stupid, because I'm a pastor and I'm a human just like you, if I was ever going to do stupid, I would do it on a Sunday evening or on a Monday. Why? Because that's where I'm most vulnerable. And I just, I'm telling you that. Why? So you're like, oh, Pastor Red's got issues. No, yeah, I'm telling you that so that this can help you because the reality is you need to be aware of those moments in your own life. If you're ever gonna get help, if you're ever gonna find hope and healing and stay in a place of victory, my friends, you've gotta be aware of of when you are tired, when you're worn out and when you're most vulnerable for the enemy to come in and play mind games with you. Because, dude, I'm telling you, like six people could have given their life to Christ. 20 people could have been water baptized. But all I'm thinking about is one thought, one thought, one thing I said, one thing I didn't say. Well, I wonder how they feel. I don't how, And next thing I know, I'm just going down this spiral of negativity in my mind. And next thing I know, I'm a worthless human being. I'm the worst pastor on the planet. Why does anybody even come to this church? I don't know, like, right? And none of this is true because I get in this mind game and it always happens when I'm, I'm negative or when I'm tired and depleted. And so what I'm just trying to tell you today is, Never, never make a major decision when you're tired. Elijah made a major decision when he was tired. He simply forgot who he was and he forgot who his God was. Why? Because he trusted his feelings. And my friends, your feelings will lie to you. A lot of us get married, right? When we're married, that first year is, woo, it's all chocolate, right? It's all roses. But after you're married for about six months, a year, you can't build a marriage on chocolate and roses, You can't ask anybody that's been married past three months, right? No, you build a marriage on commitment. You build a marriage that says, you know, even when I don't feel like loving you, I'm still going to love you. Why? Because feelings come and feelings go. Feelings are like a crash of a wave. They come in and then they dissipate. So don't build your life on emotions. Don't build your life on feelings. That's why John chapter 8, 31 through 32 he says, no, I want you to build your life on God's word. I want, why? Because when you know the truth of God's word, the truth will set you free, everybody. I preached a whole series last month on the importance of honoring God and getting God's word into your life and loving it and living it and building your life upon it. I'm not gonna re-preach that message, but we cannot build our lives on our emotions and be led by our feelings because we'll end up making some mistakes along the way that will lead us into darkness. Second thing we see Elijah do is that he isolated himself isolated himself we notice he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into a place he was never meant to be alone relationally or with his thoughts in the wilderness and I just think this blows my mind guys we live in a society in the point in history where there are more connections at our fingertips but yet according to research we are still the loneliest society in human history we're the loneliest society in human history I want to remind you guys that the first problem in the Bible wasn't sin. The first problem in the Bible was solitude. The first problem wasn't, well, the devil made me do it. No, the first problem was being alone. Genesis 2:18. The Lord God said, It is not good for man, for woman to be alone. It's not good. It's not good to be socially distant. Now listen, it's good from time to time to be physically distant, but it's not good to be socially distant. And by the way, the leaders in the, uh, of our country and our nation, I don't fault them at all for coming up with that phrase. They did the best they knew how, with something none of us have ever dealt with before in our entire life. But when I heard the phrase, it upset me deeply because the very thing we needed the most was social connection. And we could still do that at a distance. We don't need to be socially distanced. Why? Because we're not just a body part. We are a body. Romans 12, 5. Since you and I, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have professed faith in the Son of God, who have experienced love and life and hope that comes through Christ, we are all one body in Christ. And we belong, not just to me. No, we belong to each other. And each of us needs all the others, my friends, if I were to cut my hand off right now, I know it's gross and it to the side, what's going to happen? This hand severed is going to shrivel up and die. Why? Because it's disconnected from the very thing that gives it life. And many of us as Christians, we're malnourished. Why? Because we're doing life alone, disconnected from the body of Christ, thinking we can handle this on our own. And my friend, you can't handle it on your own. Why? Because you're just a body part and you need to be a part of the body, connected, living out your purpose, making a difference with your life. The worst mistake Elijah made is when he left his servant. He went off into the wilderness and he was alone in his thoughts. He was alone in his thoughts. And I just want to say in your darkest moments, my friends, you don't need you. You are the worst person. I am the worst person to take uh, any advice from when I'm in a dark place. You don't need you. You need me. You need we. You need a body to come together and help bring some life back into you. You need a small group is what you need. Well, Pastor Red, I got people around me all the time. Well, great. You can be relationally connected and still be emotionally disconnected. Why? Because just because you got people around you doesn't mean that you're still not lonely here. If the only person that knows your secrets is you, my friends, you're in trouble. Somebody else needs to know the secrets that are going on in your mind. They need to know. Let me show you Ecclesiastes 4.12. A person standing alone, relationally and in their thoughts, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two, come on somebody, two can stand back to back and conquer. You need someone. I need someone to know the thoughts that are going on in my mind and in your mind. You need someone besides you. Why? Because if you're the only one that knows your thoughts, you're doing life alone. And it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when you're going to be defeated. Well, I'm not defeated. Well, are you doing life alone? Doing a life alone here? Three? Oh. Woo, come on, good news, everybody. Three, those who are in a small group, come on, small group leaders, where are you at? Those who are in a small group, it's even better for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. It's not easily broken. Guys, I'm not gonna kid myself to stand up here and think that I can manage my life on my own. I can't, I'm not smart enough, I'm not cool enough, and neither are you. You can't manage your life, you can't manage your thoughts alone. You need a group, I need a group, we all need a group. Everybody needs a group. Go to olc.church. Click on a group. There are over 20 different small group opportunities for you to be a part of. And let me be honest with you. Well, you're just trying to get me in your group, build your church. No, I'm not. You don't have to go to one of ours. It's so important that you get in a group. I don't care what church it is. Get in a group. You need life-giving community. I want it to be here, but if it's not, that's cool. Find a home and get connected. It is the lifeblood to hope and light and life and fulfillment and freedom for you, my friends. I'm just saying, you need it. Why? We're better together. So Elijah, he found himself in a dark, dark cave. He was led by his feelings. He isolated himself. Here's the third thing he did. He began to have a logical thinking. In other words, he just lost hope. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Elijah, the man of God, who just called fire down from heaven, rain from a three-year drought, is simply here saying he's got to a place where his mind is in a funk and he is confused and he thinks that the world would be better off without him. And it wasn't the truth. It was a lie. He lost his vision. He lost purpose. He lost hope. That's why Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen says this, my friends, where there is no vision, Where there is no purpose, where there is no clarity of mind, where there is no hope, where there is no vision, what happens? Well, the byproduct is you and I, my friends, will experience death. Now, that might not be physically. It can be sometimes. But it also can be mentally and emotionally. So how did he get there? How did he get to a place where he had illogical thinking? Well, he did something that every single one of us do, including myself. It's one word, it's rumination, rumination. The devil's playground is rumination. What is rumination? It's where you get alone in your thoughts. A cow is a ruminating animal. Why? Because it chews cud, it swallows it. Guess what? It regurgitates it right back up. He's like, hmm. And then he swallows it again and he brings it right back up. And can I tell you, it doesn't get better every time it comes back up. Right. <laughs> and neither do your thoughts. Neither do your thoughts. This rehearsing of negativity, I did it yesterday. I did it yesterday. I'm not proud of it. I was in a great mood. And then I heard one thing and it set me off down a spiral. I'm like, man, I am a horrible human being. There's something I said and did and affected this and that. And next thing I know, I'm just spiraling down in this train of rumination. Woe is me. Getting ready to preach a message on depression, right? Man of God. Thanks, Lord. The devil knows that he will win the battle of your, if he can win the battle of your mind, he'll win the battle of your soul and he'll destroy every area of your life and even get you to buy into the fact that you would think that there's no other option but to end your life and that it would be best to do. And that is strictly a lie. It is not truth. There is hope. The Bible says this in Romans 8:6. the mind governed by the flesh The mind that ruminates on negative thoughts, constantly doubt, discouragement. That mind is what? It is death. But the mind governed by the hope that is Christ Jesus and the spirit of the living God living within us. The mind governed by the spirit of Christ is life and peace. It is life and peace. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to learn how to do 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. And that is we've got to learn how to demolish arguments and the lies and the self-talk and the pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. How do we do it? By taking captive every thought and making it obedient to the word of God, to making it obedient to Christ Jesus. So when the enemy kind of whispers and you're like, never going to have enough. You're always going to have lack. No, I don't think so, devil. Get behind me because my God said that he shall supply all my needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. Well, Red, you're just a failure. You're just a horrible person. I can't believe you said that. I don't think so, devil. I am a son of God. I've been adopted into the family of God. I'm a co-heir with Christ Jesus. In fact, I'm a masterpiece. I'm not a failure. I'm not a disappointment. I'm a masterpiece created on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose is to kick your butt, devil. Get behind me, and come on, somebody. I am saved, I am set free, I am whole, I am healed. It's the song we sang this morning, highly favored, blessed, anointed. I don't feel like it, but it is the truth of God and I've got to get God's word in my spirit and my spirit says, I will bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that's within me will bless his holy name no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm facing, no matter how much depression, no matter how much negativity, I will bless the Lord. I will make my life and my mind align according to God's word and remind myself who I am in Christ Jesus. What am I doing? I'm basically trying to teach you you've got to know God's word and align yourself back to the point of center. And if you don't know God's word, can I just encourage you to download the Bible app called the Version? It's free. There's one sentence on there every day. And I would just love to get at least, if one little step is just you taking the pain that it is to open your phone, because I know how it can feel. Like it's hard to do, download that app and every day open it and let the first thing that you see be one sentence from God's word. If that's just the little glimmer of hope that you need, I promise you that will help and that will begin to help you take you on a journey of freedom. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. This is why I need you to do it because it says finally brothers, sisters, those who call themselves Christians, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, (laughs) this is what I need you to do. I need you to think about these kind of things. Notice Netflix, Hulu, CNN, Fox, none of those are on the list, everybody. Nothing wrong with those per se. But what goes in comes out. What goes in comes out. A lot of times people are like, well, I can't experience the peace of God or the presence of God. And I would say, well, the peace of God and presence of God is here, but maybe the volumes, volume of the world has turned up way louder to where you can't hear his voice and you can't experience his presence. And I'm just saying for wherever you are on your journey, there might be some things God's asking you just, hey, if you just turn that down a little bit, you'd be able to hear me speak and you'd be able to experience my presence and a little bit of peace because I'm just saying I read the news I used to let it engulf me and when I did that I just inundated myself with it I lost all kind of peace but now I have what I call selective ignorance do you know what selective ignorance is I am fully in control of what I want it what I want to know what I don't want to know now I'm no fool I read it I spend maybe 5 minutes and I read some of the headlines just so I know what's going on but can I just tell you by doing that I'm still aware but I'm also very God-aware, and I've got peace, wonderful peace. Right? Anybody grow up in the church back then? You know, I had the peace of God, peace of God running through my life, and you can too. I like this quote: Brian Tracy, leadership uh, influencer. He says, "Your mind is like a garden. If you don't deliberately plant flowers, in fact, let me say it this way: If you don't deliberately plant God's word in your mind." And tend carefully, weeds of anxiety, fear and depression will grow without any encouragement at all. And isn't that the truth? One of the greatest weeds that you and I that have to tend to and have to rip out constantly in our life is one of the greatest weeds that Elijah had to deal with, and it's number four, and that is comparison, comparison. He says, "Guys, I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm no better than my ancestors." And he, again, why would he think that unless he was comparing himself to others? You and I, every day, are faced with comparing our miserable moments with everybody's highlight reel on social media. Guys, nobody's life is that perfect. Nobody's kitchen is that perfect. Nobody's living room is that perfect. Nobody's vacation is that perfect. Everybody might be smiling on the outside for that one little whoop. But then after that, they're miserable. It's the truth. Instagram isn't real. We put out there what we want people to see, right? Right? None of us were meant to know what somebody else had for dinner last night. None of us were meant to know what kind of shoes somebody else bought. Nobody else was supposed to know what we got for Christmas. Nobody else needs to know what kind of vacation you just went on. We weren't meant to know this stuff. And the devil knew that. And guess what? He created a tool, and I think it is by the spirit of the enemy in our world today. He created a tool, throwing in our hands to get us into this comparison. You've heard this. Theodore Roosevelt said this. Why is all of this important? Because I just need you to understand that comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Throw that on the screen, my friends, so they can see that. The more you wonder what somebody has, why they have it, why they went there, I wonder what they did there. The more that kind of ponders in your mind, the more it robs you and I of the joy that God wants to give us. We forget the blessing that is our own life and our own family and what God's done in our life when we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. That's why my prayer for you is Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope, may the God of hope, he's a God of hope. He's not mad at you, he's in love with you and he wants to give you hope. He wants to fill your life with all joy and peace as you do what? As you trust in your emotions, as you trust in yourself and isolate yourself, as you compare yourself to others? No, but as you trust in him. I love this. This is so good. And it's so that you may have what when you trust in him, not only that you can have hope, but that your hope can overflow. So you can have more hope than you need, so that you can give hope to somebody else. And that hope will overflow and overflow. And you can see we can change the world with the hope of God. But it comes not with trusting ourselves, but trusting who? Trusting God. Trusting God. If you're here today and you've been led by emotions, I get it. Guilty. If you're here today and you've isolated yourself, I get it, guilty, I've isolated myself from time to time. If you're here today and you've fallen in this illogical thinking of just negative thoughts and just, you're at a place where your mind is confused and you're thinking about ending your life, I want you to know the truth is, my friends, there is light, there is hope. Even if that light is just a small little glimmer like a pinhole that seems so far and you're so in darkness, there is light. And there is hope, and his name is Jesus. The hope doesn't come from trusting ourselves. The hope comes from trusting somebody who is bigger than ourselves. And that is our God. And I want to show you my favorite verse that has helped me through multiple horrible seasons in my life with depression, anxiety, and fear, and stress. And that is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. This is my life verse. Trust in the Lord, Red. Trust in God with all your heart. Okay, and lean not on what is going on in your mind right now. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on the negative thoughts. Lean not on what is happening in the confusion that might be happening, but trust me. Acknowledge me, worship me, bring me into the situation. Call upon me, submit to me. God says, and what will happen? He says, man, if you'll submit to me, acknowledge me, trust me. Lean not on your own understanding. I'm going to make your path straight. And guess what about a path? A path is a path. In order to walk down a path, what you got to do? You got to take a step. And you got to take another step. So with every step that you take, trusting in God, not leaning on your thoughts. For every little bitty step, even as painful as it might be in the moment that you feel, every little bit of step, God says, if you'll trust me, eventually that path is going to line up and it's going to be straight. There is hope, and it may only come from one little bitty step at a time, but it begins with trusting, trusting God. Isaiah 50.10 says, Let the one who walks in the dark, let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, who's battling depression, do what? Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Why? Because John 1.5, last verse. Because the light of Jesus Christ shines in your darkest moments of depression. The light shines in the darkness. And here's the good news, everybody. The darkness has not overcome the light of Jesus Christ. It is not overcoming. It's not overcoming. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Have hope. I've overcome it. And so can you. It begins with a simple trust. One small step, one small step, one small step of trust. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. I understand that this is a very heavy topic, but the reality is, whether we admit it or not, every single one of us in this room and online have dealt with this and are dealing with it or know somebody who is walking through some very dark moments. And God, what I do right now in your moment and your presence right here in this place, I pray that the God of hope the God of hope would open their eyes and their spirit just to see a glimmer, just to see a glimmer of your light that shines in the darkest places. God, I pray that you would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation to open their eyes to see maybe for the first time the hope that is there and that exists. And it doesn't come from trusting ourselves, but it comes from trusting you and leaning not on what is happening in our minds, but leaning on you. God, I come against the spirit of the enemy that's trying to bring attack of depression in people's lives today. The enemy has to bow by the authority of Jesus Christ in his name that is higher than any other name. And I declare freedom, I declare light, I declare hope, I declare peace over every mind and every heart who hears me today online and in this room. Enemy, you have no authority over the life. You release your hands off them in the power of Jesus Christ. I pray that the peace of God would begin to transcend your understanding and guard your heart and your mind. I pray that you would just begin to simply take next steps to draw close to God who draw close to you. And I pray that you would experience hope, joy, life, and peace in the fulfillment that comes. There is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free in Jesus' name. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, some of you are here today and if you're honest, you say I don't have a relationship with God, but I need a relationship with God. Why? Because I want to be free. If you're in this room, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down front. I promise you are in a room full of people who have made this decision as well. But if you're here today or maybe online, I would encourage you, man, say, Pastor Red, I want to come into a relationship with God. I'm not waiting anymore. I'm not playing any more games. I want freedom. I want hope. I want life. I want Jesus. If that's you, come on, raise your hand all across this room right now. Let me know. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. Come on. This is your moment. Don't miss this moment. God loves you. He's for you. He gave his best for you. His name was Jesus. You can put your hands down. God bless you. Greatest, greatest decision of your life. I'm so proud of you. Some of you didn't raise your hand, but you know you should have, and you're feeling in your heart right now. I just want you to know it's not about a hand raise, but it is simply about a heart that connects with God. Can I encourage every single one of you to say a prayer like this? Come on, say this with me to say, God, Thank you for wanting to have a relationship with me. Thank you for Jesus. Today, I declare my trust in Jesus. I believe he died. I believe he rose again to pay for my sin. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And I give my life to you, Jesus. Because you gave your life to me. Forgive me. Change me. Come live on the inside of me. And I'd encourage everybody to pray this. Say, Jesus, shine your light in the darkness. Shine your light in my soul. Help me. Give me the hope that is the light of my salvation. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, you guys who have people give give the heart to Christ. Can you throw your hands together and celebrate? Come on, greatest decision of your life. Way to go.